welcome. It's Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome again to another edition of Medically Speaking. We're really happy to be with you here tonight. The weather has cooled off a bit, which is really, really great. It's been extremely hot, um, although we love this hot weather. As I mentioned last week, it's really nice to have that little bit of a break. So thank you again so much for taking time to join with us tonight. We are very excited. At St. Mary's Hospital, we have a lot of incredible things happening, and I'm sure that you've all read the newspapers, and if you listened to Larry's show last Friday, you heard um, our CEO, Chad Weibel, talk about um, how official it is for us right now. We are officially joined um, to Trinity Health New England, so it's an exciting time for us. We worked really hard as a hospital and as a team uh, to reach this moment, and it's an incredible opportunity for us to celebrate and enjoy the moment, and we are excited. We're excited to be part of a great, great, great network. Trinity Health New England will do a lot for our community and allow us to potentially bring incredible um, health care to your community. Not that we haven't already done so um, in our in, in our last years um, at St. Mary's Hospital, but we are so excited to have this partnership so that we can inc- increase and, and even get better. at at what we do for the greater Waterbury community and bring to you all those services that are needed. And in speaking of services that are needed and services that are growing with St. Mary's Hospital, we are very excited to have a new member um, joining St. Mary's Hospital, and I have him here with me tonight. It is a brand new cardiologist, brand new to the greater Waterbury area, and he has joined the team of Dr. Kelly, Dr. Kat, Dr. Skandrit, and Dr. Malenix at our West Main Street office, as well as our East Main Street office with Dr. Malenix and his name is Dr. Joseph Nanaraj. Hi, Doc. How are you? Hi, Robin. Good. I'm good. Thank you so much for coming here tonight. This was basically his first week with us. Hello, (laughs) everyone. This was his first week with us. So Dr. Nanaraj started on Monday, and I met him out um, at the, I think I met you right at the hospital, right? Yes. Yeah, we met each other at the hospital, and I grabbed him, and I said, you are going to be, you are going to be coming on the road with me today, and you are also going to be doing radio on Wednesday and he looked at me with a deer in the headlights but no I'm very excited to be here that's great and you know we talked to you a little bit about radio and we told you that it reaches an incredible audience here in Greater Waterbury we have some great listeners and we definitely have our groupies out there so any of our groupies that want to call in um, anybody out there that wants to call in and ask any question regarding a cardiology issue tonight we so welcome your call um, 203-757-1320 so a little bit about Dr. Nanaraj, just to give you a little bit of history. So Dr. Nanaraj completed his internal medicine residency at Griffin Hospital. And then that's where he later served as faculty hospitalist and associate program director of internal medicine residency program. He has been recognized as physician of the year 2012, providing exceptional and compassionate patient care. And he's received multiple awards of teaching medicine to residents. He was a clinical instructor at Yale University School of Medicine and completed a fellowship in cardiology at Bridgeport Hospital, which is an affiliate of the Yale New Haven Health System. He is an active member and serves in the American College of Cardiology chap- and Connecticut Chapter Council. Yeah, that's correct. Anything I missed? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly broad, but, you know, we wanted to give everyone a feel out there that you've been part, somewhat part of this community 
for for a while now. Sure. When you said you've lived in Oxford for a while now, you live in Oxford, right? Yeah, I have lived in Oxford for nearly seven years now. So yeah. you know a little bit about the Greater Waterbury yeah, community, I know. Yeah. especially working at Griffin and, yeah. and Bridgeport. So I I think one of the things I want to ask you is what drew you to us? What drew you to St. Mary's and to this community? So when I started looking for the job, I actually traveled all over the country. But having lived in this uh, in the valley for more than ten years, yeah. I had a strong connection with the people. I mean, with the patients at Griffin and then at Bridgeport Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at multiple places, but then I still felt. Um, my home is in Connecticut. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and then at the right time, an opportunity knocked at my door, yeah, that's and great. then I took it. Oh, that's great. And uh, I think I re- I will really enjoy working here. Oh, we are gonna we are gonna love to have you. And and as you can see, we haven't let you rested since you started on Monday. Well, I, I like it. You're good. <laughs> good. We will we will keep you busy. You know, and I told him as physician liaison, which is my role, it is my job to get you out there, make sure people know that you're here, and also. So get you to know our community a little bit and some of the opportunities mm-hmm. our community mm-hmm. provides to us. And cardiology is definitely growing and changing. And, yep. you know, we have an incredible team led by, you know, Dr. Paul Kelly, yep. who he's probably is. Guy. Yeah, he's incredible. And he's probably listening out there. So we always have to give him a shout out because he's our he's our chair. <laughs> so we always have to give him a shout out. But he is so, was so impressed by you and he was so happy to have you join the team. In coming here, you bring with you some of your specialties. So as a cardiologist, everybody seems to focus on different things. So what is it in cardiology that is your caveat? What do you you focus on? No, I mainly focus on... um Imaging, okay, uh, and non-invasive studies like peripheral vascular ultrasound. Apart from that, uh, imaging studies. I also very much interested in treating patients with heart failure, okay, and rhythm disturbances such as atrial fibrillation, okay, and um, valvular heart disease. All right. That you so which is which is going to lay the blueprint for us for what we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. But what led you down the path of cardiology? I guess I want to ask you before we start. Sure. So when I was in medical school, I was always fascinated by the physiology of how the heart works and how it, um, how the vascular system works and how it adapts to different uh, disease processes. So um, from there, I mean, when I went into clinical rotations, right. I see a, I saw a lot of patients with the various kind of cardiovascular diseases, including heart failure, arrhythmias, right. uh, such as atrial fibrillation. Right. So, I mean, there were different pathologies which I came across, mm. and. Um, when I talk about heart failure, there is no definitive cure, but um, patient symptoms could be controlled and treated if they are treated appropriately. So I took a lot of interest in um, heart failure, and I wrote some articles on heart failure and how kidney function could affect uh, um, heart failure. <laughs> so um, that kind of um, laid the... Uh, ground for my interest in heart failure and then um, so each patient is different so right. I mean I enjoy uh, I mean uh, getting the history and right. how I can it's like a puzzle yeah it's a puzzle and Piecing solving it the together. Puzzle, puzzle so uh, you you know you're talking heart failure so you know when you and I met 
um, yeah. the other day, and, and you know, you said your interest is heart failure. That is a really broad term. Yep. You know, and I think when people hear heart failure, they think heart attack. Yeah. And and I think that heart failure is not a term that a physician uses all the time with a patient. Yep. So when you told me your interest is heart failure and you treat patients with heart failure, I thought that's interesting because that's maybe a term we should share tonight and talk a little bit about what heart failure means and how it's different for other patients. So what yeah. does heart failure mean? Let's start sure. with that. So first of all, I mean, heart failure is not synonymous with heart attack. I mean, most of the uh, patients think heart attack as a as, uh, acute myocardial infarction, which right. we call it uh, a heart attack. Right. I mean, when they have uh, their arteries supplying to the heart occluded, I mean, uh, then the blood supply is, is cut off to the mm-hmm. heart and then we call it as a myocardial infarction, which common uh, people refer to as heart attack. So they are not synonymous. Um, so heart failure is a condition in which the, bar- the heart is not able to pump blood properly or receive blood properly to maintain the energy requirements of the body. So, I mean, uh, normally we need blood flowing to the organs uh, um, like three to five liters per minute. And uh, if that blood is not adequately flowing to various organs just because if the heart is failing, that's called heart failure. So can heart failure be a result of a heart attack where there's heart damage? Yeah, definitely. It is one of the major causes of heart failure. So if someone's had a heart attack or yeah. a myocardial infarction, then what the result could be is if there's been some damage to the heart, yeah. the heart's not pumping efficiently? Am I reading that right? Yeah, that is one part of the, uh, I mean, uh, one cause of the heart failure. Okay. And But there are many other causes of heart failure, but definitely, I mean, as you said, uh, coronary artery disease, which could cause blood, uh, a blockage of blood supply to the heart, can result in heart failure if not treated appropriately at the right time. If someone has a heart attack and they have some heart damage and it causes some heart failure symptoms, Mm -hmm. can that heart muscle ever repair itself? It depends. Does it get better? Yeah, it depends. I mean, so that's why, I mean, um, there are medications which could prevent the muscle damage, further uh, muscle damage. And there are medications which could reverse the effects of, uh, or the, uh, which could reverse the muscle damage. Okay. So uh, the main medications, we call them as beta blockers and okay. uh, AC inhibitors. Okay. Okay, so, so there are medications uh, which can help reverse the uh, effects of the muscle damage to some extent. Right, so beyond... But it's always better to prevent that muscle damage from happening. Right, from happening. So prevent the heart attack in the first place. Exactly. Right. So heart failure, is that something other than post-heart attack? Is that something you can prevent? Or what are some of the other causes? So um, that's an excellent question which you asked, which brings to the prevention aspects of heart Mm. failure, right? Right. So as I said uh, at the beginning of the talk, that there is no definitive cure for the heart Mm. failure, but there is option for treatment right. uh, for the heart failure. So um, prevention is the key. So when I talked about the definition of heart failure, as I said, 
the heart fails to pump or fails to receive enough blood inside its chamber. Okay. So there are two types of heart failure. One is systolic heart failure and the other one is diastolic heart failure. The one which you talked about as a result of um, the heart attack right. usually causes systolic heart failure, okay. which we call it as a pump failure. Okay. Ability to contract or push blood out, out of the heart to various organs. So that's called systolic heart failure. Mm. And the other one is diastolic heart failure where the patient's heart is not able to receive blood properly because the heart muscles become stiff and is unable to relax properly. Wow. So that is called diastolic heart failure, which is becoming more and more common these days. And Why is that? So. Um, that brings up the causes of, the causes, of right. heart okay. failure. So more and more people are suffering from hypertension these mm -hmm. days. And diabetes is one of the uh, causes of heart failure. And obesity mm -hmm. um, and other diseases like thyroid, uh, mm -hmm. thyroid problems can result in heart failure. Mm -hmm. um, it all comes I mean, back to diet, exercise. Diet, the common things. Yeah. Yep. So, so... Once, once a patient, you diagnose them, how do you diagnose them? Let's go to that. So how do you diagnose someone in heart failure? What are the symptoms of heart failure? So the key to diagnosis is talking to the patient. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, most of the time the patients feel, I mean, uh, getting easily tired. Mm. Okay. So because the, they're not receiving, their body's not receiving enough blood from the heart. Okay. Or sometimes, I mean, they will come with swelling in the legs. Swelling, swelling it's not pumping. Yeah. It's not pumping, pumping it back the, up. Yeah. Okay. So swelling in the legs. And the earliest sign uh, or symptom, sometimes patients may experience is they wake up in the middle of the night, like gasping for air. They might feel like drowning because what happens is the, if the blood is not pumped out of the heart it can get pulled in the lungs so when they are so it's, it's when pain. they are lying down okay. so they might come with that kind of symptom mm -hmm. which we call paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea but i mean the patient usually wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air right and um, then they can have cough they can have um, as i said a decreased exercise tolerance wow. and um so those are the common uh, symptoms which the patient may complain of. Right. And then what we examine, I mean, we uh, typically look at their neck to figure out, I mean, if there is more fluid retained in their body. And we also look for the legs and then we, uh, we, could, uh, we look for special heart sounds to see if they have heart failure. And you could probably hear the fluid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if they have fluid in the lungs, I mean, right. we could listen to the uh, chest and find out. Now, once they have heart failure, yeah. what is it that you do, I'd say, immediately to treat them? So it depends. If the patient, uh, they can have chronic heart failure and have no symptoms. Right. Okay. Or they can come to the hospital with acute symptoms, difficulty breathing, difficulty, I mean... Um, 
uh, with palpitations or chest pain because I mean they can have discomfort from the fluid in the lungs so in that case I mean the first treatment I mean if they are stable with their blood pressure if their pulses are okay then we might uh, start with uh, medications called diuretics which right. which is I mean the Lasix the Lasix right uh, one of them is Lasix I mean to get rid of the fluid to get rid so of the fluid. fluid and to improve their symptoms you know and that's it's so uncomfortable for patients to take that Lasix because yeah. you know they they're they're going to the bathroom quite often and what do you do in the case where you have a patient that's somewhat immobile that makes it more difficult no it's a definitely a problem yeah. and so we usually tend to um, once they achieve a stable status we usually tend to minimize the dose of Lasix right and we tell patients sometimes I mean to take it um, in the late afternoon, not just before going to the bed. Otherwise, I mean, they'll lose their sleep. Right. Right. And uh, But there is no good way to prevent. I mean, the only way the medicine is working is... Right. making them pee. So once once a patient has been diagnosed with heart failure, and we call this congestive heart failure a lot yeah. of the time, and I'm sure that's a term people have yeah. heard out there, yeah. there are more than just heart failure itself. Do you, at that point, um, see patients getting better? I mean, is there an opportunity for a patient to get to a point where they're not going back and forth between heart failure and maybe that level of... of normalcy for them yeah. or that level of, of no definitely that. yeah so that's a great question so definitely patients with heart failure can feel better okay so there are a lot of medications which we can uh, give them to make them feel better mm. okay and uh, we have seen patients who has less than like I mean 20% of their functioning capacity of the heart <laughs> improve to like 40 to 45% wow. if they appropriately take their medications. So, so they have to be compliant. Yeah, they have to be compliant. I mean, there are a lot of things they need to uh, look up when they like their daily weights, their mm -hmm. fluid intakes, I mean, their salt intakes right. and regular exercise. I mean, it's uh, hard for some, some yeah. of them too. Yeah. But so, we do have the cardiac rehab, yeah, exactly. which is so, huge. Yeah. So cardiac rehab covers yeah cardiac rehab covers everything and we at St. Mary's Hospital we have an excellent program of cardiac rehabilitation under you the got leadership. to see that a little bit today didn't you yeah yeah I went the there hospital, no right? even during my orientation awesome. I was there and I was very impressed and Dr. Kelly manages that uh, very efficiently and it's a overall a very good program because you get everything at one place I mean you get diet counseling you get your exercise there you get um I mean, your weight monitored, yeah. and if you get yearly, I mean, symptoms, you can get diagnosed earlier there. Let me tell you, we—it's uh, incredible. Shannon Newman, yeah. who is our exercise physiologist there, yeah. she's she um, had joined us. Say it's almost been two years too since and Shannon's joined us, but she's worked with Dr. Kelly, and they have totally elevated that program. It was always a great program, but now yeah. I think it's exceptional. Yeah, I do think it's exceptional. Yeah. So that. These are the things which really work in patients with heart failure. Because they monitor them. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like just going yeah. to a gym, gym yeah, where exactly. you don't really have somebody monitoring. Yeah. You have nurses there exactly. that are monitoring yeah. your exercise. So for these heart failure patients, it gives them an opportunity to keep their heart failure under control. Exactly. Kind of like a diabetic patient. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So uh, I guess an, another question I would have would be, how, how do you deal with the non-compliant patient? 
how do you do that? How do you how do you do that? And how do you keep, you know how do you yeah. keep them from falling okay. back? So um, usually, what happens is, I mean, the patients are non-compliant. One because of ignorance, mm-hmm. because they don't know why they are taking this medication. First of all, they don't understand. They don't understand. They've been discharged from the hospital and exactly. haven't had a clear explanation as to what's yeah, going on. Yeah, exactly. So, patient education is the uh, key thing. Okay, so you have to tell them why you are taking this medication mm-hmm. and what happens if you stop it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, just because their symptoms improve, they cannot stop the medication. Right. Then they will end up right back in the hospital. Okay, and so that's one reason for my non-compliance, ignorance, and the other thing is, I mean, financial constraints. So, I mean, they not every patient can afford these medications, and uh, they have a lot of copays and all those stuff. So, I mean, we have excellent programs in the hospital to help those kind of patients. Yeah. So. I mean, focusing on those aspects can help their compliance. And there might be psychosocial issues, Mm -hmm. which again, as I said, I mean, cardiac rehab covers that as well. Which is so good. We also have a couple of things in place that I'm sure you're you're just understanding and learning about. We have a couple of nurse navigators. Yeah. Karen Mealy is one of them. She's yeah. awesome. Great. She she identifies patients at the hospital um, as soon as they're diagnosed yeah. to, to keep an eye on them and get them into a program. And Sharon Lascardi too. Yeah. Um, we also have the Pump Club. Did Dr. Kelly tell you about the yeah, Pump yeah, Club? Yeah, I, I was there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Can uh, we talk a little bit about the Pump Club so people know that we have yeah. that. I think that's great for our, our yeah, heart exactly. failure patients. Yeah, exactly. So the Pump Club, it's somebody that can actually just come right into the hospital. hospital and then without getting admitted, get without getting admitting. Right. Yeah, so if they even feel, uh, I mean, l- tired or if they f- think their weight is increasing, they could come there, get their shot of Lasix and go home right. so that they don't have to get admitted in the hospital. So, I mean, a stitch in time saves nine. Right. So, I mean... Keeping patients out of the ER is the key. key. Because heart yeah. failure patients are the type of patients that tend to be in yeah. and out of your emergency yeah. room yeah. because they're not feeling right. Yeah. So, during during the week, yeah, exactly. we have this ability for them to come right in the front door of St. Mary's, yeah. go right up to our, our patient therapy department. Yeah. But they have to be an existing patient of one of our cardiologists, yeah, exactly. correct? Yeah. yeah, that's right. And they can go right in, and um, Maureen yeah. Spirito, who runs yeah. It's a great program because, great. I mean, if they deny their symptoms, I mean, if it's not properly taken care of at the right time, they can end up in the hospital. They can, st- uh, they have to stay away from the job, and yeah. I mean, they will lose their, uh, I mean, yeah, um, financial. Ben- financial benefits right. and all those stuff. I mean, it has a lot of social implications as well. So th- this concept of hot pump, I mean, pump club is a great concept. <laughs> well, I was a little, you know, when Dr. Kelly came up with that, I go, pump club, I said, yeah. you're killing me. Pump I said, up. pump club, yeah, but I get it, and it, yeah. it's worth and it's yeah. in, it's amazing what he's been able to accomplish yeah. with the team up there. And, you know, our focus at the hospital is truly, truly, truly yeah, about sure. getting medicine out there yeah. and getting patients yeah. to feel like they can come right in. Yeah. yeah, I still feel there are a lot of patients who need our help. And, I mean, we could make a lot of difference in their quality of life and definitely yeah. definitely well we it's believe it or not we already had a half hour go by so it is definitely time for us to take a break and when we come back um i think we'll focus a little bit on on arrhythmias and talk sure, a little bit definitely. about, about yeah. the beat of the heart yeah we'll be right back thank you
Welcome back, Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. We're here tonight medically speaking about cardiology, and we're medically speaking with one of our brand-new cardiologists to the Franklin Medical Group, Dr. Joseph Nanaraj. Thank you again, Doc, for joining me on your well, first week. For, yeah, thanks for having me here. So, so excited to have you as part of our, our team of cardiologists, and we are growing by leaps and bounds. We have two locations now for our cardiology team, and you're at both. Yeah. You are uh, at both. I'm there on uh, West Main Street West on Main. Tuesday and East Main Street on Thursdays. And in the hospital in between. Yeah. In the hospital in between. So we've got you bouncing around. Yeah. I'm already enjoying it. You're already enjoying it. I'm yeah. so glad. Poor Doc. I, I was telling everyone I, I met him on Monday and I threw him in his car, took him around to meet some of our Franklin uh, providers and uh, got him set up for radio for tonight. So we've got him uh, running around already. But we're, we're so excited that you're eager to be part of this team and I think that it speaks volumes of um, who we look for as, as a physician and who choose to be part of our team um, I think it's very much in telling with what we like to do um, as a hospital and reaching out to the community and doing events so thank you thank you well, again. thank you very much I already feel at home yeah. oh I'm so yeah, glad so with that being said before we um, went to the break um, we were talking about heart failure and I think one of the things we didn't finish with which is what I want to end with um, before we start on heart rhythm is um, we talk a little bit about diet and exercise and helping to control. We talked about medications and controlling yeah. heart failure, but we didn't talk about diet and exercise. So maybe you want to just, you know, touch on that. Yeah, that's a good thing that we could talk about. Uh, I mean, the diet and the exercise, because I mean, those are the key things which um, can help uh, reduce your blood pressure, which is one of the main causes of diastolic heart right. failure. So, <coughs> sorry. Um, Diet-wise, I mean, uh, my patients are already, uh, always confused about which diet to what take. I, I mean, take? yeah, what? what do I take? And um, and we always tell them, I mean, uh, no added salt or salt <laughs> restriction, but they don't know what that means. No I one mean, knows what yeah, that means. Yeah, no one knows what that means. Uh, so, I mean, it's very important to educate the patients. I mean, so usually I tell them, I mean, when you cook, try to... Uh, try not to add extra salt okay so I don't I don't restrict or ask to refine totally away from salt that's impossible okay because so it's in a lot of the products that we eat yeah you know okay so one way to reduce your salt intake I mean is I mean uh, is to avoid salty foods like mm. pickles Oh, pickles. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, it's I loaded with salt. It's loaded with salt. And any canned foods. Yeah. Like soups. Okay. Soups are bad. Yeah. yeah. The canned soups are tough. Tough. Yeah. yeah. So, and the sandwiches sometimes, I mean, because they have processed meat in it sometimes. Uh -huh. So, you have to look for what is in the sandwich. What's in the sandwich. Yeah. And sometimes even poultry, depending upon how it's cooked. Hmm. And cured meats and processed meats can have a lot of salt in it. What about the low sodium? Like, you know, we cook a lot with broths, chicken broths. And yeah. So look for the low sodium. Yeah, so always look at the labels, the dietary labels on right. the uh, on the. I mean, homemade cans. is always better, yeah, but so it's always almost try impossible. To, <coughs> yeah, always try to make it home right. uh, cooked. Okay, so I know it's easier said than done. It is, especially with our busy schedules. But, yeah. I mean, but your health is your priority yeah. right now. I mean, if you are suffering from heart failure, you need to carefully watch your diet and particularly try to read your labels all the mm -hmm. time. And the American Heart Association has a heart check 
mark sign on mm. some of the food labels. Oh, okay. Okay, so uh, when you are shopping for groceries, please look for that as well. For, for the little heart from the American Heart Yeah, heart, uh, that is a Valentine heart, heart, and then there's a check mark inside the, so, yeah. Uh, wow, that's really good information. It's so, you yeah. know, that's, it's really hard, especially if you have someone like we had mentioned a, a few minutes ago, that's non-compliant. Yeah. Those are usually your people that are, they don't have the ability to cook for themselves yeah. or they don't, you know, yeah. so they'll get, they'll do something a little easier yeah. and canned soups and yeah, process stuff is so much easier yeah. for them. But it's really understanding if you're going to do that, what's the better option? Uh, so, I mean, there are other products, I mean, right. uh, which, uh, you, first of all, you have to read the labels read the and labels. try to restrict. I mean, if you are consuming a lot of canned soup, mm. then you have to at least avoid taking other uh, I mean, other food which contains a right. lot of um, salt in it, like I mean, the cured meat. Yeah, they fool you. Johnny's just <laughs> thrown in on the side here, and he's right. When we read the labels, you don't look at because those servings of the soups in the yeah. can, those are generally for two and a half. There's usually two and a half servings in one of those yeah, yeah. cans. I won't say the brand name, but yeah. you know, or any brand, there's usually two and a half servings. Yeah. But who eats a cup of soup? Yeah. For a meal, I mean that's not a lot. Yeah. But what would you what would you consider a serving in a day or sodium? What's the most amount someone with, especially someone with heart failure, should so, take it in a day? So ideally, I would say um, two to three grams per okay. day. But an per average day. American uh, takes nine grams of sodium. Wow, that's an average. So I mean, for patients with heart failure. Um, at least two to three grams. Uh, the American Heart Association recommends 1.5 grams of sodium per day. Wow. But if you could do two grams, I don't want patients to stay totally away from salt, then they will starve most right, of the time. I right. mean, so, but two to uh, three grams would be okay. Right. Okay. And also, they have to watch their fluid intake, mm. okay, apart from, uh, from the sodium. sodium. So what happens is, I mean, the sodium retains the fluid inside the body and that's not good for a patient with heart failure wow yeah and um that's scary yeah. you know you don't want them to become dehydrated especially yeah. during these yeah. hot months yeah exactly you know you don't want them to become dehydrated so you know that's a battle because there's times when they're going to need more fluid than exactly, others. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where yeah. the taking the daily weight comes into place. Okay. I mean, if you uh, take your daily weight, put your uh, weighing machine near near your bed, and keep a log. As soon as you get up from the bed, weigh yourself and write it down and bring it to your doctor's appointment. And so a pound here or there on a daily basis is fine, but if you yeah. see yourself going up in a day like five pounds? No, if you are going by two pounds two in 24, pounds. 24 hours or okay. three pounds in a week, oh, I mean, okay. you should call your doctor. Okay. So, I mean, five. I don't want the patients to wait for five pounds. Okay. And then uh, realize, then I mean, issue. yeah, the heart is also already out of the bond. Then. Wow. Yeah. So it's better to uh, treat them earlier rather than wait. Right. And if someone comes in with that, you would be able to. Then what do you do when you look at them? You're able to tell if there's fluid in the leg, or you yeah. So we heart. give them an extra dose of uh, Lasix, and if they are uh, not on right medications, we might fine tune their medications, tweak their medications a little bit, and adjust them. Yeah, and the first thing is to focus on why this happened. 
Okay. Uh, why the patient went into this status. So like look back into what it led oh, to it. Yeah, exactly. So addressing that will be the key thing. And sometimes it's re-education. Yeah, exactly. It must take a while to get yeah. that balance. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, no, it's not an easy thing. So it's right. a team effort. I mean, the patient should not think that they are alone out there. Okay, so they should come to us uh, with any problems regarding right. their health and then talk openly to us so wow. that they can help. Uh, we can help them. So now we, we did touch on the, the you know, high-sodium diet, but you also want to talk a little bit about exercise and what's appropriate? Yeah, exercise, yeah, so definitely exercise um, is um, has a lot of benefits. Mm-hmm. One, in patients with heart failure, it improves their exercise tolerance once uh, they start exercising, okay? So... I don't expect my patients to start exercising like 40 minutes every day. I mean, they have to start somewhere rather than having a sedentary lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, if they are constrained of time, they can use their daily activities to exercise. Mm-hmm. I mean, rather than taking a lift, I mean, they can climb stairs. Right. Right. And if they are going to a mall. We call them elevators. You call them lift. That's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Both are the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's because I recently came back from India. There you go. And they yeah, call them a lift there. there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, I mean, those kind of things will help, but, um, the long-term goal, I mean, um, gradually they should increase their exercise level to an extent that they could exercise for uh, 30 minutes at least five times a day mm. per week. Okay. Uh, I mean, now, five times this, a week. And in this kind of weather, <coughs> yeah. it's so beautiful, you know. Yeah. They, you really take advantage of the yeah. trails yeah. and the, you know, the ability yeah. to just get out there yeah. and get in the fresh air. And walking is fine. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah. You know, walking's fine. Yeah. People think that they have to be running a marathon. Yeah. And I just no, they could still do activities like gardening. Yeah, gardening. So that's kind uh, considered as a vigorous, ac- I mean, a moderately vigorous activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so gardening for 30 minutes is good. Wow. Okay. And things like what they enjoy. I mean, right. if they like swimming... Well, they could the go best. For, yeah, they could go for that. Non-impact on those yeah. joints. They could play light games like, right. I mean, tennis, double tennis. Uh, okay, not single tennis. I mean, it's a vigorous right. exercise. Right. Okay, but right. if they can play double tennis, um, that could be helpful. I mean, I'm not advising them to do... Uh, everything on the first day. I mean, right. you have to build them gradually. Build up to it, yeah. which is why we have the cardiac rehab department. Exactly. To get them to that yeah. level where they can maybe do more yeah. and more, yeah. but they're monitored yeah. while they're with us. Yeah, exactly. You know, on, even on the outpatient setting. Yeah. yeah. And being in the Northeast, I mean, this season is good, but once we go into the late fall and winter time, I mean, yeah, many patients. Yeah, then it gets it harder. Yeah, many patients come to us and complain that, I mean, I cannot go for jogging or walking, right? But there are uh, programs mm-hmm. in the malls. That we were just going to say we have our yeah. mall walkers program. Yeah, mall walkers mall. program right. at many malls, and they can go in the morning. And, right. And they can and the get mall some has stairs too, yeah, which yeah. is good. They can yeah. go up and down the stairs and yeah. do both levels. Yeah. So they can have company there. I mean, they will meet similar patients with heart failure. The or problem whatever. is in our mall. Yeah. There's a food court. Yeah. And they begin and end at the food court with their coffee. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so we have to be careful. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, we cannot deprive our patients from everything. I right. Mean, it's okay to have uh, 
to go to the food court and, right. but they have to watch what they are eating right. and they have to i mean it's an integrated approach definitely yeah it's not the diet alone it's not the exercise alone it's a little so bit it, of everything it's a little bit of everything and they have to monitor their weight right and uh, salt intakes and all the stuff and you know we have um here and you're probably not uh, as familiar with it but our local YMCA has a silver sneakers program. Oh nice. So which is really neat and so you can be part of the silver sneakers program and do incredible activities at our Wonderful. local Y for yeah. not a lot yeah. of Wonderful. a fee and it's a beautiful Y yeah. in downtown Waterbury have some yeah. great programs there. So you know if you can't be outside there are opportunities inside at yeah, various areas definitely. to do yeah, some great exactly. some great programs. Yeah. So if you do have any questions I want to throw the number back out there again 203-757-1320 not very often you get a physician at your beck and call so if you have any questions yeah. um, regarding cardiology so i'd like to talk a little bit about heart rhythm yeah sure and some of the things that you see as a cardiologist that are yeah. more common than others yeah. so when we talk about heart rhythm um, aside from heart failure aside from heart attack what are we looking at with heart rhythm so the heart rhythm the there are basically there are four chambers in the heart and the heart is electrically wired uh, between these four chambers the upper chamber contract first and then through the when the electricity passes down to the lower chambers it contracts mm. uh, so it com- contracts in a sequential fashion so the commonest heart rhythm disorder we encounter is atrial fibrillation and that could be one of the causes of heart failure as well if not treated properly mm. okay so heart uh, atrial fibrillation uh, nearly 3 million americans live with atrial fibrillation at this point uh, and uh, one of the main associated risk factor is aging as more and more people live longer we see, we are seeing a lot of patients with atrial fibrillation the other causes of atrial fibrillation are as other associations with atrial fibrillations are morbid obesities mm. overweight and uh, sleep apneas mm. okay copds and uh, some uh, thyroid problems so these are some of the causes of atrial fibrillation again if they have valve problems or hypertension diabetes they can have a higher incidence of atrial fibrillation so these are some of the common association with atrial fibrillation we see it a lot now yeah you hear about it a lot now yeah, why is that as i said i mean because uh, many people are living longer and age is one of the most commonest associated risk factor for atrial fibrillation as people age they have a higher tendency to develop atrial fibrillation mm-hmm. okay and uh, as i initially said obesity hypertension and um, valvular heart disease and uh, sleep apneas uh, these are the commonest causes of heart failure which are increasing in intensity right absolutely i mean incidence right so with atrial fibrillation what are some of the symptoms that okay. come that brings the patient to you <coughs> so sometimes i mean uh, not every patient with atrial fibrillation can have symptoms so if they, they have don't even know it yeah they don't even know it okay so uh, at least 30% of the patients may not know it they just know some they just felt funny and then it went away yes yeah, or they may not recognize anything hmm. so, so if they have symptoms i mean they can have palpitations like yeah, they be, they can feel like their heart is beating faster or they can feel uh, easily get tired 
okay and sometimes if they develop heart failure from the atrial fibrillation then they can have swelling in the legs and all the stuff but um, atrial fibrillation can be tricky to diagnose okay because sometimes people tolerate it well until their heart gives up because if they uh, the heart is supposed to beat at like on an average of 80 beats per minute right if the heart beats like 120 130 beats per minute all the time the chambers can get tired the lower chambers and then the, they can develop heart failure mm-hmm. from that so um so that's why early diagnosis is key so that i mean if they have a higher heart rate we could control them and prevent this from uh, prevent them from going into heart failure right and the other causes like obesity controlling their hypertension diabetes is one of the other associated factor and is uh, i mean we cannot uh I mean, control the age factor. I right. mean, they cannot, right. uh, I mean, definitely uh, delay their aging process, right. but at least we could control Monitor their, them. Yeah, at least we could control their blood pressure. Right. We could control their diabetes. Right. And if they have sleep apnea, we could refer them for sleep centers and right. we could um, get them treated for that. Well, you see a lot of commercials out there now for all different types of medications. Yeah. And, it seems to me that the image of the person, at, you know, that is the patient yeah. in these commercials is usually a man. Yeah. And it's usually a man that's in his maybe mid to late 50s, early mm-hmm. 60s with living with AFib. Yeah. And these medications are, you know, blood thinners. Yes. So how how come we focus on that group when we project that image? Is that the group that tends to suffer from this more? Is there a higher evidence in, in a, a man in that age group? Yeah, so age is one of the major uh, associated... Now, be careful now, because you're talking to a 55-year-old, 56-year-old. They just turned 50. Oh, I thought you were just 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you everything. Yeah. But, you know, so you're, yeah. you, know, you, you look at that age group, and it's scary. Yeah, it is. So um, age is alone not the risk factor. I mean, there could be other things. Like, right. I mean, if they have valve problems, mm-hmm. if they have high blood pressure and other um, diabetes, and those are the other risk factors. Or thyroid problems can right. contribute to the, devel- uh, the development of atrial fibrillation. So um, talking about blood thinners, I mean, the, we mainly focus on treating their heart rate as i said i mean they cannot go all the time at 140 to 150 beats per minute right so we need to bring down their heart rate so that that their chambers don't get tired and go into heart failure okay okay so that's one thing okay and so having atrial fibrillation increases their risk of stroke okay um it's not directly linked and there could be associated factors okay. which could play into it. Okay. So one is diabetes, mm-hmm. high blood pressure, mm-hmm. advanced age, history of heart failure. So when patients with atrial fibrillation have these comorbidities, their risk of stroke is higher as compared to patients with just atrial fibrillation alone. Okay. Okay. So... When we encounter patients with atrial fibrillation, we also look at these things. How old are they? If they are, what gender they are. Females have a higher tendency to have stroke when they have atrial fibrillation. 
Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so if they have other comorbidities right. like, I mean, diabetes. Diabetes, overweight. And, yeah. So we have a calculator yeah. to calculate the risk of developing stroke. Okay. So based on that, then we prescribe blood thinners. So if th- usually we don't prescribe blood thinners if their risk is zero based on that calculator. Okay. But if they have advanced age, diabetes, and uh, previous history of strokes, and um, mm. history of heart failure, mm. then they should be on blood thinners right. to prevent this uh, history of stroke. Because 20% of strokes are caused by atrial fibrillation, or related to atrial fibrillation. Incredible. Yeah. And most of the patients, uh, at least uh, there was a survey in 2009, uh, which showed at least 50% of patients were not aware that the stroke could be caused by atrial fibrillation. So, I mean, that that needs that tells us how uh, much education need uh, has to be done on that part. I don't think anybody thinks that they're a candidate for a stroke yeah. because, you know, you just don't think of it or you don't really look. Yeah. It's not something that you ever yeah. think about happening, but we, yeah, exactly. we see it happening so much. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much education out there about the you know, fast, you know, yep. you know, all those, you know, those di- different acronyms that we have out there to get people to get them to the hospital uh, right yeah. away. But boy, yeah, sometimes it just happens yeah. so fast. fast. Exactly. Not to be a pun, yeah. but it really does. Yeah. And, you know, you, the education is so imperative to mm-hmm. get out there and make people recognize yeah. that, you know, once you get to the hospital, especially now we are a stroke center. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we have our accreditation and we're yeah. very proud of that. But you want to make sure that you educate yeah. the population so yeah. much. And I still think, I mean, prevention is the key. Yeah. Preventing patients from going into heart failure are developing this atrial fibrillation by modifying their risk factors, mm. such as high blood pressure, obesity, redu- reducing their weight, right. uh, stopping tobacco use, so and increasing their physical activity. And you know, so many people don't <coughs> go to their primary care physicians on an annual basis, and they think your primary care physicians know you the best, yep. especially if you're going more exactly. routinely, yeah, right, exactly. Doc, you know, yeah, yeah. and they can see if there's changes, yeah. you know, and if there's something going on with your heart, yeah. send you to the cardiologist, cardiologist so we can yeah. evaluate and see what's exactly, going on, yeah. and I think that we don't go to the cardiologist until we have a problem. Yeah. Right, until so a problem. better not to wait escalated. until the, you right. get the problem, right. because my concept is, I mean, we have to prevent it from happening. Mm. So there are lots of types of prevention. One is primordial prevention, meaning, um, I mean, uh, stopping the risk factors from developing. Right. That's primary prevention. Right. Which means, I mean, once the risk factors have developed, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, then taking steps to prevent them from heart attacks or everything. What about cholesterol? Does that put you at higher risk for AFib or a stroke? Or? Uh, not for AFib, but not for, for, for stroke. But for stroke and, uh, I mean, coronary artery disease. Right. And then thereby leading into other complications such as right. uh, heart failure and then AFib. We're, so uh, indirectly, definitely, yes. We're, I can't believe it's five of. I can't. I don't know, Johnny, where the time goes. Uh, one thing I want to throw out to you because it's um, something that we hear pros, we hear cons but before we um pros and cons off taking a daily aspirin oh okay so 
What do you, what are your feelings on that? What are your feelings? Who should be the people that are taking a daily aspirin? How much should they be taking? And is it a protocol that we should have? So last year or earlier this year, United States Preventive Task Force uh, released a guideline on who should be taking aspirin. Okay. So anybody who is, I think it's 50 years to 65 years should be on aspirin. Anybody. Anybody. Men and women. Men and women. Okay. One aspirin. Yeah. So this is primary prevention. Primary prevention. Who doesn't have any problems or do who doesn't? Baby yeah, aspirin. Yeah, it's a baby aspirin. Baby aspirin. Yeah. But I would recommend talking with your physician, right. not taking on your own. Right. Okay. Because every one of you could be different. That's right. Okay. So, right. I mean, I'm just uh, telling about the guidelines. I'm not telling you to take right now. Right. Okay. Right. So I would discuss with your disease, I mean, physician, okay, about taking aspirin. But definitely once they have heart disease, like your blockage in their arteries, um, then we definitely put them on aspirin. Now is that, it's definitely something they take every day. And is that dangerous though, for someone in a prevention? Like what, you know, so that's why I said we need to talk to your physician physician and everybody is different because I don't know uh, without seeing them, it's right. hard to figure out what they are doing. I mean, if they are taking medications for arthritis, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they, then that puts them at a higher risk of bleeding. So that's and how what. many of us women <coughs> do not have arthritis that we're not taking our leave every few days? Yeah. You know, seriously, you don't yeah, think yeah. about the interactions. You know, yeah, that yeah, you, exactly. you know, you're taking your baby aspirin yeah. as a vitamin almost, yeah. you know, with your vitamins, yeah. but you're not looking at the interactions. Yeah, so, That's such a great point. Yeah. So I don't want to blame the uh, patients for not coming to the physician. I mean, right. it could be the system. I mean, right. we, we need to make changes to the system so that they can have easy accessibility to us. Definitely. And, and uh, but the key is help them but the key is working with their primary care physicians to know where their baseline is exactly and you know know getting to know your doctor yeah you know i think that that's that's so important getting to know your doctor i think that we don't even think we don't only go to our physicians when we find something wrong until we get to a certain age and then we worry about everything so then we then we tend to we (laughs) tend to go more but you know i think the younger generation especially with health insurances the way they are people don't Mm. tend to go unless they have to but they do pay for routine well visits exactly so we should take advantage of what they do pay for and and you know definitely go and be watched yeah they should not be taking anything on their own right Um, if they want to take something on their own they should at least talk to their doctors before they do do that well doc thank you so much I I guess before we end I want to make sure that um, we I'll get your information out to everyone but if you had to end with um, a little a little food for thought for our audience regarding heart disease and heart failure, what would you say? So I would say, I mean, if you are diagnosed with heart failure, don't worry, okay? Hmm. So we can get it under control, okay? So, and if we follow proper um, therapeutic strategies, we can get it under control. That's awesome. And uh, so don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah. Just make sure yeah, that there, are lot, there is a lot of hope. There's definitely a lot of hope out there. And yeah. we have you there now. 
watching our people in the I'll greater Waterbury community. I'll be happy to help Thank in whatever you. way I could. Thank you. Well, we're going to definitely have you back. So Dr. Nanaraj is, again, one of our newest cardiologists at St. Mary's Hospital, part of our Franklin Medical Group. And he can be found on our website, on our Franklin Medical Group website, and also on our St. Mary's website, stmh.org. And he will he is located at 1981 East Main Street in Waterbury and also 1320 West Main Street. And the phone number for West Main is 203-709-7300. And East Main is 203-709-5520. But you can definitely go on our St. Mary's website and look him up and all his information is there. So again, thank you, Doc, so much for joining us. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I will be back with you next um, Friday. We have our morning show, and we will have on with us Dr. Karen Kedendi, who's a pediatrician with the Pond Place Pediatric Group, and we will talking about getting those kids back to school, what to look for, and them coming home with all those temperatures. We're calling it temperature tantrums, so we think that'll be a lot of fun. So definitely join us uh, 9.30, and it's the second Friday, so not this Friday. A week from Friday, we'll be joining you, and I will uh, be joining you the following Wednesday stay after that so we have some good programming coming up this is robin sills from saint mary's hospital exceptional care every patient every day have a great weekend